On this Thursday installment of Locked On Texans, we're going to dive into some of Nick Casario's best offseason acquisitions. Plus, what does success for Lovey Smith look like this year as he take the helm as head coach? You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to a Thursday edition of the Locked On Texans podcast, or part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm John Hickman, of course, joined by none other than Cody Davis, as today's theme is success and good moves. We're going to talk about <laughs> good moves in terms of Nick Casario and his offseason acquisitions. And I think, Cody, the acquisitions, along with the moves that he's made, whether that had been departures or hirings of you no know, head coaches we'll look at lovey smith we'll get into later in the show and just other aspects of a general manager's job we have to talk about nick serio year two cody mm. you know the acquisitions the the, the let goes the trades for nick serio so far in your opinion for the locked on texas world to see what has been the best move for casario thus far I would like to say his ability being able to retain Laramie Tunsil. And I understand it. I get it. A lot of people might look at that and say, well, of course, that's one of his best offseason moves because he's arguably the best left tackle in the league. We talk about it here a lot on Locked On Texans. This offensive line is 10 times better with Laramie Tunsil at left tackle. And I also want to mention, Due to his ability, along with Lovey Smith as well, but due to Nick Casario's ability to 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 fix the fracture relationship that Laramie Tunsil had with this organization, not only does that improve the Texans' offensive line, but I also do believe that's part of the main reasons why, with that number three overall pick, they had an opportunity to draft Darius Steenley, a guy at a position that they desperately need. However, John, listeners and viewers. Ever since the hiring of Lovey Smith, I have been talking about the new atmosphere surrounding this organization. And when you take a look at the fact that they were able to fix the relationship with Laramie Tunsil, that just let me know that the new leadership that Nick Casario has inside that building is part of the reason why this organization is no longer the laughing stock of the nfl no more and that is very important because you remember last year every time we came on this podcast there was just nonsense after nonsense after nonsense going on rather you're talking about david cully rather you're talking about deshaun watson rather you're talking about now in hindsight i agree with you john on what you said on monday's show it seems like we might have to oh jack east to be an apology but there was just so much stuff going on and we all know the story with laramie tonsil you know, he, he he ended his season last year after he injured his thumb during a week five loss against the New England Patriots. Everybody had expected Tunsil to come back. He didn't want to come back to this foolishness. Trade rumors started to circle, circle around him and this organization. And the fact that he was able to talk to Tunsil, fix that relationship, get him back in the building, says a lot about the direction of this organization. And not only did he fix the relationship, he also reconstructed his contract and helped this organization save some money in the long run. You know, one of my best moves that I think, one of the best moves that I think Casario made this offseason 
was simply sticking to his game plan that I think that he did in terms of keeping Pep Hamilton. I don't think it was a coincidence Pep Hamilton was hired last season to be a part of this coaching staff. You know, last season they drafted Davis Mills later later in the draft in the third round, brought in a Pep Hamilton who's been known to kind of be sort of a QB whisperer. By the way, you don't leave a job with the Chargers where – you're coaching one of the best young quarterbacks in the mm. NFL and Justin Herbert and then move to Houston, move your family to Houston in the midst of while your son is getting ready for high school ball without a conversation of there is room, definite room for not improvement, but, you know, to be pushed ahead of where you're at right now. And I think that's why he came last season to be a part of the passing game coordinator and QB coach. There was a conversation that you will be our offensive coordinator. We're trying to work some things through, allow me an opportunity to do my job in order to make sure that when you are moved up to be the offensive coordinator, you won't be in this position that you're in right now. Hmm. For Casario, I mean, he could have moved on from Tim Kelly last season, and rightfully so. But now that we look back at it, why would he do so when the roster offensively-wise – wasn't put together and you don't want to bring in your guy into a hot mess and your your hands are tied because your hands was tied last season and so i think personally just making sure that pep hamilton stayed i do believe there was a conversation before he left la from the Chargers to come down here to the hot south of houston in a mess as well like the Chargers are doing well right now as an organization and their future looks bright Houston, on the other hand, there's a lot of questions of whether or not your quarterback is a quarterback of the future. The the gloom and, and cloud of Deshaun Watson still lingers over this organization. And now you're here. So I think that's one big move. And I also would like to say signing Marlon Mack, that was a quarterback. Yeah, sorry. That was a running back, a prospect that I thought Houston should have looked at a very long time. They actually signed him. And I think that his upside – he was healthy last enough, last year to play football. The relationship fractured with the Indianapolis Colts. Mm. Just got pushed out of rotation. Understandably so. They got two dynamic running backs with the Colts. That one of them is very scary, and Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> but uh, what he can bring to this, I think this running game compared to what Houston has had the last two years, I think that's a plus as well. But Cody, viewers, listeners, the best move. This offseason for any general manager in any sport right now is moving on from a player that may possibly not be able to play sports <laughs> for the next two years. And in that trade, oh my gosh, you're getting picks back that look better and better every day. Like, like that 2023 pick. 24? Well, we don't know about 24 yet, but 23 I, right now looks looks very scrumptious. Looks I think like 24 is still going to be good. 24 may possibly be good, but when we're talking about Deshaun Watson and moving on from him uh, in w- with the Houston Texans, absolutely, hands down, the best move that Nick Casario <laughs> could have made. Hey, and by the way, he stuck to his game plan. For Nick, he's a smart hmm. guy. He's a smart football intelligent guy, and there's no way – he was leaving where he came from, understanding the situation, right, and not have some plan put together that for his six-year tenure 
this is what I want to do year one. These are the pieces that I want to make. I want to move these guys around. I want to bring these guys in. Yeah, I, I think for Nick, just sticking to his game plan from day one. Pep, Pep Hampton is a huge part of that game plan, by the way. I tell you what, Cody, there's a possible pipeline conspiracy theory out there that Arch Manning signed with the University of Texas. We back, baby. So Sure, sure. He you say possibly, this every recruiting season, sure. Hold on. <laughs> but so he could possibly, in a couple of years, be a Houston Texan. There's some interesting odds out right now. Will Arch Manning be drafted number one overall? It's plus forty-one. It's plus one forty. Yes, um, minus one eighty. No. This is all over at Bet Online. Our good friends at Bet Online who continue to remain the number one source for all of your sports betting needs and information from all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, news, and including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of everything sports, including live betting, esports, and scores. BetOnline is the fastest way and the easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action at BetOnline because BetOnline is where the game starts. Welcome back in, ladies and gentlemen, to this Thursday installment of Locked On Texans. And I don't see Manning. I don't see a Manning being a Houston Texan. First and foremost, it's what, four? You were like four years away from Manning getting drafted. So... If the Texans are still in need of a quarterback four years from now, did that mean something went hella wrong with the rebuild? And by the way, I'm expecting Davis Mills to be in his prime at that time. And if not Davis Mills, possibly Bryce Young, CJ. Like, like there are, there are too many good quarterback prospects out there for, for, for us fans to be holding on about Manning coming to the Houston Texans. And by the way, four years from now, if he is playing NFL in in the great state of Texas, it got to be that trash Dallas Cowboys team because, you know, oh, man. Mr. 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 Dak, I don't know if he's still going to be in his prime four years from now. And I had an com- interesting conversation really quick before we move on because I think this is an important topic to talk about that we're going to get into with Lovey Smith as a head coach. So I'm just going to throw this out there. You guys can get busy with it in the comments, and we'll bring it back next week. Had an interest, interesting conversation with a couple of buddies of mine. Shout out to my boy Coop. Shout out to my boy E. Phil over the Field and Stats podcast. Check those guys out. Amazing work. Is Dak Prescott better than Deshaun Watson? What? That was an interesting conversation. And why is that a conversation? Well, you know, for one, they both like you. Are we talking about Deshaun that's sitting out now, or Deshaun when the last time we saw him? Because say what you want about the guy, we were still looking at a top five, top three quarterback in the league. Come on now, like don't tell him. So I I was on the side of Dak Prescott isn't necessarily that far off from Deshaun Watson, And and I also kept kept it kept it going by saying. I'm not sure if Deshaun Watson is 100% better than Dak Prescott. I said that. Yeah, I said that. And this is not because I haven't seen him in a while. It got A lot of what Deshaun Watson's problems was was still 
off of his own inability to improve on. Uh, holding the ball as long as he did. Because both Dak and Deshaun had issues that were similar. Terrible coaching. Terrible offensive co- offensive coordinating calling, play, play calling throughout random times in the game. Terrible game management by coaches. Like, these are all the same things that they had to go through as quarterbacks. Granted, Dak Prescott walked into a perfect, damn near perfect situation with offensive line and Zeke as your running back. However, I've seen improvements from Dak Prescott's as a quarterback, and my boy brought up, and I know you're going to bring it up too, that Deshaun Watson led the league in passing. Yeah, I get that. Well, one year Dak Prescott was number two and had a meaningful season. Deshaun Watson did not have a meaningful season. So I say all of that to say this. It's not as far-fetched as people may think it is. And continuing here with this Thursday installment of Locked on Texans, we're probably going to revisit that topic. But <sighs> Dak over – I mean, Dak ain't – okay. But continuing here with this Thursday installment of Locked on Texans, in the first segment we talked about, you know, what are are some of Nick Osirio's best offseason acquisitions. And we could go on and on. And I do believe at the end of the day, prior to the start of the 2022 campaign, say what you want about the Texans, say what you want about Casario, but what you cannot take away from him is the fact that he has had one hell of an offseason revamping his whole entire team. However, I think we all can agree that his best move as general manager was hiring Lovey Smith as head coach. Now, I understand it. I get it. You know, there might have been some, there might have been like a lawsuit or something <laughs> that kind of forced their hands into that decision. But at the end of the day, Nick Casario made the hiring of Lovey Smith. And John, we talked a lot about the rookie class. We talked a lot about the development of Davis Mills, Nico Collins, you know, what we expected from this backfield, the improvements on the defensive side of the ball, the atmosphere. I have been really big on ever since the start of rookie training camp. When you take a look at all the offseason moves, take a look at the players who are on this roster as of right now, take a look at the schedule. What would you consider a successful year for Lovey Smith? Because I, I, I think it's an important question because we are not expecting the Texans to be in the playoffs. I think best case scenario, like super best case scenario, they'd be competing for a wild card spot. But for me personally, when I take a look at everything this organization has went through over the last two years, both of the season had, had, had ended with only four wins. When I take a look at Lovey Smith and I'm looking at a coach who has better coaching around him, better talent, I do not want to see this organization finish with four wins or less next season. I don't give a damn if tanking is their top priority. This is an organization, in my opinion, should be somewhere in the ballpark realistically of six to seven wins. I think that will be a successful year for Lovey Smith as head coach of the Houston Texans. Again, and it's hard, and I, I really agree with you on that, right? <laughs> but it's, it's hard to put a number on it. When what I'm looking for is for him to be better than David Cully as a head coach. That's I don't not hard. Think, well, <laughs> I don't think that. Well, for, for David Cutch, David Cully as a head coach, you know, he amounted the same amount of wins that combined with Bill O'Brien, Romeo Cornell had the year prior. That's true. For Lovey Smith, you know, this is your first time being an NFL head coach in a very long time. 
The last time you were a head coach was just a couple of seasons ago when you were coaching at the collegiate level and things didn't pan out the way you would have wanted it at that level. So hmm. now, again, Nick Casario has done a very good job. We talk about offseason acquisitions and moves. George Warhop, I think, will be one of those moves that won't get talked about enough. Um, placing just well-equipped guys around him at almost every level won't get talked about enough as coaches. So for Lovey, you're in a better situation like you mentioned, Cody. You have more talent around you. At the very least, you should be better than David Cully. Again, this is year one, and for us, and you and I will find a whole lot more when training camp really starts and we get to preseason, just mm -hmm. like the rest of the world. But for us right now, we are still kind of blind to what offense will be running. We are still very blind to because he has mentioned that he will change things compared to what we have seen out of Levy Smith and his defense because he's calling defensive plays this year. So what is the extent of Levy Smith changing his defense? These are some questions that need to be answered. We'll answer those questions once we watch them in practice and preseason before week one of the season. But he has to be better. One thing that needs to be better that, you know, whether you have four wins, five wins, six wins, I don't care what it is. The Houston Texans offense needs to see the end zone. Hmm. They need to see pay dirt. This running game needs to be respectable enough to where this isn't a team that defense is just kind of, eh, you know, what? we don't really got a game plan for them this week because they have nobody back there. You did a very good job combined with the two heads of Nick Sear and Lovey Smith and everybody else in their war room bringing in an adequate left, a right guard, moving Titus Howard back to right tackle, drafting Kenyon Green. You have entrusted Justin Britt as center. We'll see how that plays out. That's also another move that could come back and bite them because they didn't address it in the draft like I thought they probably should have. They drafted Austin Declan towards the end of the draft. But overall, points need to be put on the board. Check that off my list. And they need to be able to run the damn ball. This has been a point of emphasis for this franchise for three years, going into this third year. Two out of the three years thus far, they have failed horrendously. For Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton, they have both talked about how important it is to be able to run the ball effectively. The power run game, you know, being able to get some yards per pop. This will be the year that I think we finally see a change in that. Before moving on, I do want to add this as well. I also want to see the Houston Texans improve in their time management. I don't know what it oh, is, yeah. but Being man, better than David you know, even even Bill O'Brien, you know, that was one of the you know pet peeves about having Bill O'Brien on the sideline. And John, it's been so long since the Texans actually had a head coach who understood when to attack, whether they be through the air, whether they be on the ground. You know, given game management, like just game management in general, I just want to see the Houston Texans improve in that because I, I'm not going to give too much. I, I'm not going to say too much about David Cully because we all know that was a complete mess. But even when you take a look at the Bill O'Brien years, even though that team on the BOB had some success, I always felt like that team would have been better if they had a head, if they had a head coach who understood game management. And I'm hope I'm hoping that the Texans finally have that in Lovey Smith. Thanks for making Locked On Texans your first listen today. Now make your second listen 
the Locked On NFL Podcast. Our national NFL experts and insiders keep fans dialed in with the biggest stories and the latest news from around the league because an offseason doesn't equal a break in the action. Just want to remind you guys, we'll let you guys know rather, that Cody and I will revisit the successful Lovey Smith once the preseason is over with, right in between preseason and regular season when we have more concrete evidence of what the hell we're talking about in the first place. So once <laughs> we get that with training camp and preseason, then we'll bring that topic back around. And then we'll also look at Nick Casario offseason, some of the things that may or may or may not have panned out at that point as well. Cody, you know, you said something interesting, and I want to talk about this really quick before we get into the uh, YouTube comments, which is going to be fun. Was Levy Smith really the best option for head coach? Now, that's something we can have a whole conversation about mm. because Jonathan Gannon was out there. Uh, he was a favorite at one point. Let's look at the list. It was Josh McCown, Kevin O'Connell, Lovey Smith, uh, Jonathan Gannon, Joe Lombardi, Heinz Ward. I, I never <laughs> understood that one. And Brian Flores, these were all of the men that were interviewed by Houston. And I think for Lovey Smith, it just so happened that he was the more familiar coach with this team at the time. May not have made him the best option. Uh, that will be remain to be seen once the end of this season is uh, is come to a close. But for mm. the YouTube comments. Oh, I, I was just going to give my quick thoughts on that. I mean, I don't – the best candidate to me, not just with the Texans, but throughout the entire league was Brian Flores. Now, he had some other stuff going on at the time that I really do believe, you know, affecting him not being a head coach as we speak right now. But, I mean, when you just take a look at, in hindsight, even more because all the nonsense that he had going on in Miami – you just take a look at the fact that he had three seasons and outside of his first year, the Miami Dolphins were a fringe playoff team in back-to-back years and he was in a terrible situation. And I always said, when, when I take a look at Brian Flores, especially knowing what we know now about his tenure in Miami, it seemed like he would have been one of the top head coaches in the league if he had the support of his owner and of course, better all-around talent and you know it's unfortunate that I think he's some type of uh, he's serving like an advisory role or something in Pittsburgh as as of right now yeah um but you know rather it was the Texans or any other team I don't think there was a better candidate out there than Brian, Brian Flores however when you take a look at other the the rest of the candidates that the Houston Texans were actually looking at the the, uh, the other guy that I would consider was Jonathan Gannon. I was really big on him because he was a defensive-minded coach. And at that time, that's when we started hearing rumblings about the possibility of Pep Hamilton sticking around as the offensive coordinator. Um, Kevin O'Connor, I wasn't a big fan of him. And you, don't get me started on the McCown foolishness. <laughs> shout out. By the way, shout out to Mike Tomlin. He has an amazing uh, interview with I Am at the, uh, the Pivot podcast. Um but back to the YouTube comments, Jalen Johnson, it's cool that Mechie is going to be ready for training camp, but we still need to bring him slowly. No need to rush him back. Let's bring him on slowly so they can be ready for the season. I 100% agree. Mechie, you know, I think a lot of people are putting too much pressure on uh, Mechie right now. And I think that's because, you know, watching him at Alabama – 
he just was flat out phenomenal, right? And that was with a phenomenal wide receiver group, and a lot of people are just ready to see him play ball right now, you know, understandably so. However, he is nursing an injury, trying to come back. Nobody should rush him because the last thing you want to do is rush him back too early in a season where this is still your inaugural season. Like, you still got some things to learn about this NFL partner. Come on. Hmm. So I agree with Jalen on that one. Let's not rush him back. Let's get him ready so when it, when the time is around, he's ready to play ball. I don't even think people are, like, rushing him back. I just think they're impatient because he was one of the most explosive wide receivers in college football last year. And, you know, I've, I've been on record by saying this as well. I, too, believe that the Texans should take their time with Mechie because not only are you giving him an extended amount of time to make sure he's 100% healed from that ACL injury, but he also has an opportunity, John, to your point, to learn the game of football on the NFL level. And he's paired with one of the best veterans in the league and Brandon Cook. Absolutely. So I understand it. His, his freshman se- season in the NFL, we're going to be like, give the ball to Mechie, give the ball to Mechie. But at the end of the day, if they bring him along slow, it's going to work out better in the long run for Mechie. Absolutely. Travis Weatherspoon, one of my favorite uh, listeners and follows on Twitter as well says Busby is not invited to the barbecue. <laughs> I don't. I, <laughs> I 100% agree. I 100% agree because you know he he gonna bring the mood of the barbecue down. That's yeah, you know, and I, and I take I take Busby as a uh, you know when you ask people what to bring, I, I take Busby as a coleslaw kind of guy. You know what I mean? I like coleslaw got, actually. Well, you and Busby are not invited to none of my barbecues. <laughs> I'll tell you that. We got beans. We got the dirty rice. We got the barbecue. We got the mac and cheese. We got the greens. We don't need no coleslaw. But I thought that was a funny one. And lastly, before we get out of here, Jalen Johnson, this was on yesterday's show when we talked about players who on a one-year contract. Johnson said, Kamu Conley and Jenkins and Brown are probably the ones that are probably not coming back after this mm. year. There was some good engagement under that comment. Robert Kraft said, Robert Kraft, what's going on? <laughs> Robert Kraft said, I like Kamu. And Jalen backdoor and said he was pretty good. But if Christian Harris progresses like we expected, it won't be long until he takes Kamu's spot. And we can't mm. forget about Wallow as well, uh, like the guy said. Damn, that's I will say this, it's important to see how they will use Christian Harris to bring him on slowly. Will he play Sam? Will he play Will? Or is he a dark spot for that Mike linebacker position? That is going to be interesting because his athletic ability is through the roof. That's a very good point because when you first started reading the comment, especially saying you don't see Kamu coming back, I'm like, he's definitely coming back. Not only does he fit the culture, he's a good veteran, but he's actually very productive on the field. However, I did not think about the Christian Harris side of things. That, that is, was, yeah, that man. was the point I made yesterday. When you look at Kamu, who again had a good season with Houston last year, yeah, I honestly I think him and Christian Kirksey had some good good moments for Houston last mm-hmm. season. After you know, considering everything that was going on, but I think Kamu is a guy with a year left. Again, Houston may just look to move on from him. Because of Wallow, who is a dark spot right now. They really like him in Houston. And Wallow also came 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 up big the final game. Yeah, like 12, 12 tackles in one game. Yeah, I want to say. What I, game was that? 
I want to say it might have been a game against the Chargers. Garrett Wallow had a game last season, and in that game, I'm looking it up right now, guys. I wish I knew this off the top of my head. By the way, Cody, do you know where Wallow's from? Where? New Orleans. Oh, yeah, I think I did know that. I think I did know that. that? I I, I remember seeing something like that, yeah. But I thought that? that is a very good point. That I was for against sure the, that was against the Chargers. No, that was against the Jacksonville Jaguars, mm. where he had one sack, eleven total tackles, one tackle for loss, one QB hit, played in ninety four percent of the defensive defensive snaps that game. That was a game where he kind of popped off the screen because his ability to kind of get to the ball and make a play on it with those DB skills. And to your point, I believe that was one of the game either Hill or Kersey actually missed, and that's the reason why they had to move him, um, you know, give him more snaps that game. That is a really good point. That, that's something I'm going to have to – we're going to have to keep our eyes on come training camp. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that uh, – what game was that? Yeah, he also had a pretty decent Chargers game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the Locked On Texan Podcast. Thank you guys for checking us out today. Don't want to keep you guys too long on this beautiful Thursday. Enjoy your family and friends. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Texans. Like us on Facebook. And as always, make sure you comment, share, subscribe, everything when it comes to YouTube at Locked On Texans as well. And as always, I'm your host, Cody Davis. Please remember to follow me on Twitter at Cody Davis underscore 24. Once again, that's Cody, C-O-T-Y-D-A-V-I-S underscore 24. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, peace.